Welcome to the Marketing Tips for Doctors podcast, where you'll discover the secrets to attracting more patients ready to schedule their first appointments to grow your practice without spending hours and hours away from your practice or home. Hear how to boost your online presence, develop a strong rapport with each one to increase patient compliance while adding value and growing revenue. Now here's your host, Dr. Barbara Hales, America's leading medical strategist. Welcome to an episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Hales. Today we have with us Katherine Jansen Burkett, who received her master's in public health from the University of Washington in 1992 and spent over a decade in public health managing violence prevention and teen health programs. But over time, she experienced an inner stirring. What ensued was a process of reflection, curiosity, and ultimately trust as she dove into her current career as a licensed professional counselor. Following in the footsteps of her father, who was also a therapist, she graduated in 2004 from Lewis and Clark College and has now enjoyed over 15 years in private practice, offering not only holistic psychotherapy, but retreats and workshops as well. And we're going to get into that because I want to hear all about your retreats, and I'm sure the <laughs> listeners do too. But anyway, <laughs> that's just an aside. Okay. Last year, Catherine published her first book, River to Ocean, Living in the Flow of Wakefulness. Her book reflects the human voyage of finding your way to an awakened self. As with a river that traverses steep mountains and winding valleys, our inner and outer worlds can be encumbered by a lack of connection to ourselves, old beliefs, an anxious mind, preoccupation with death, like who isn't if they watch, <laughs> if they watch Fox News all the time, mm -hmm. or compromised relationships to others. Each and all of these can interfere with living our most authentic and loving life. In River to Ocean, Catherine explores nine aspects of wakefulness, offering insights, practices, and her own and others' inspirational stories from the field. Welcome today, Catherine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, especially now in times of stress, how can you practice self-care and uh, what is the best approaches to managing anxiety and uncertainty? Wow, such good and big questions. So I'll go with the self-care piece first. I think a beginning statement might be self-care is about a relationship to ourselves. So beyond it just being activities and maybe a massage once in a while or, you know, uh, things that we traditionally think about it really is a gesture. Self-care is about having a nurturing and loving relationship to ourselves. So we take care of that self like others. So it can involve a lot of different things, but in times of stress, it is so important. You know, often when stress goes up, self-care goes down, which really is the opposite of the algebra that's needed. When stress goes up, self-care needs to go up so that we are resourced and really tapped into our resilience to manage that stress. Well, not um, only that, but uh, increasing self-care is actually going to improve our immunity. Wouldn't you say? Exactly. I would absolutely say that. And that I would say self-care, I believe so strongly in the mind-body connection, as you speak of. So 
whatever we do, you know, that it isn't just physical. A lot of times people think of self-care in just the physical realm, not emotional care. And at times of stress, our bodies, as much as our, our you know, minds and hearts and soul need emotional self-care, which includes how we are with emotions, how we work with times of vulnerability, as much as having resources of support from other people, you know, to be comforted and to not go it alone. So I love the wide net you're, you're kind of throwing here in that self-care is, there's a breadth and depth to that. Mm-hmm. And then kind of going into the idea of if we're in a family life, I have now raised six children and they're all gone and I have grandchildren. But in times where I was navigating- What a woman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, uh, I, I, I love every minute of it. And there were some really intense moments of it for sure. But, it, that, but that balance of how to take care of oneself as a parent and as a partner, really you know, having those needs not compete with the needs of children or marriage or even my professional life. So it is really quite a thing to have that be, have a secure place in one's life, our activities of self-care, again, kind of inner and outer self-care. The other thing is just to remember that if we are going, it's kind of like the oxygen mask, if we are not taking care of ourselves, we cannot really be a resource to others long-term. So it's not selfish at all to really be generous in our care of self. Mm -hmm. And I think it segues to your second question, how do we deal with times of uncertainty? The more resourced and well we are emotionally and physically, the better we will fare. I would also say that we, we can live with uncertainty sometimes more than we realize. Right now with this pandemic, there's a ton of uncertainty. So it's at a whole nother level and that's having its impact. But if we really check in, you know, we don't really control things as much as we might believe. We can't always predict things, though we plan that we can predict. So our system actually does know how to deal with a certain amount of uncertainty. So I've been coaching people just to find their feet, find what's familiar and known that you can kind of feel and be in touch with, knowing that your uncertain future or, you know, whatever the future does hold for us, we, we travel forward with our resiliency and inner and outer resources. We can trust that for a future moment. But, you know, right now it's kind of like, oh, daffodils still look like daffodils. And if I play with my dog, that's really familiar to my system. So that really is grounding in terms of having not everything feel so topsy-turvy. Does that kind of get to what? It, it does. I think that's a good tip. What are the top three to five relationship practices that promote family health? Well, I really love that question. And especially um, in times where, I, whether it's a shelter at home or not, but we have a lot of availability and proximity relationships that are fair pretty well with breathing room when we are in that close proximity, certainly there can be challenges and relational dynamics can come up. So what I always lead with regulate your anger. My own journey has been to really work with my temper and to realize that my anger itself isn't a problem, but that I needed to learn how to regulate my anger. So that is a huge thing in terms of relationship health and family health, just that people stay calm. And if you can't stay calm, if you're triggered, you know how to take five, you know how to self-soothe and get back kind of your nervous system in a whole brain state. 
So that's always my lead. I would say communicate consciously, kind of with I statements is the, the good tradition and not use statements, which can put people on the defensive. So another communication piece is not to make assumptions. Sometimes somebody's quiet and we assume they're mad at us or we assume that there's a problem and they might be fighting a migraine and they're just quiet. So it's important to check, check out what we're thinking and believing. I would say engage in quality time so that there's really ongoing bonding, not just we are in relationships so we just exist, but also practices of autonomy, again, especially important in times where we're in close proximity. So it's really okay for everybody to take some space so that we can not get tired of one another ultimately <laughs> and step on each other's toes and be annoying. Well, that's a little bit tough at the moment with everybody home and being homeschooled. Yes. yes. So what would you advise physicians in addressing these issues with their patients in terms of you know, being in close quarters with their children and their spouse, not being able to get away and have that seclusion or the the area that they could hide in, making sure that the kids are taking care of their homeschooling and Mm -hmm. that there are not that many friction between, Mm -hmm. between the family members. Well, I guess as a provider, I think when we can make it safe to talk about it, that's the first thing I would hope my physician does with me is um, sometimes it's hard to say I'm struggling at home. We're fighting more. I'm feeling kind of lost and I can't afford a therapist. So I think just normalizing the conversation that family life is amazing and can be incredibly intense and difficult. So just that undoes a piece of I'm not alone because you're my physician and we're talking about it. So that's super helpful. I think the sense of how to encourage people to have boundaries. Obviously, you're not going to leave a young child unattended to, so you can't go on a run and leave the house. Um, you know, even doing our, our social distancing with our, our being outside. But I actually think of kind of creating a map of times when we are available If we have a partner, we're coordinating when we are available to children, but also putting into those that map times where we have autonomy and some self-care. You know, respite's very important for parents just because it's just important for parents to to feel like they can get a break in some form. And it's it's about coordinating those needs right now so that when you want to Zoom with your friends, Barbara, that's not actually at the same time I'm trying to meditate, you know. And so having a map and having a schedule can really, really help everybody get what they need. So that's another piece of family health in a way. And again, kind of an encouragement a physician might be able to to give families and parents. I think that's key. For me, what I found always helped was a sense of gratitude. Uh, That's beautiful. Yeah. And, you know, despite the uncertainty that we're all experiencing now and the anxiety that and stress that everybody is under now, just having a feeling of thankfulness, you know, Mm -hmm. that we're okay, that our family is okay, and Mm -hmm. that we are getting to see the, the wonderful relationships that we have with our children that as working people, we may not get to see ordinarily. Yes, I think that's such a good point. And um, I think for some, we're kind of at week three in this, as we're taping this, not sure when this will air. And so 
week one, it was different than week three. There's kind of an endurance. And as people both are needing to think of this more as a marathon, not a race, they're also adapting to being at home when maybe professionally they had not been at home as much. And what an incredible opportunity because people are getting burned out on screen time on their own, which is the best. And so we're playing games or we're doing puzzles or we're actually playing charades or we're having different conversations. And my encouragement is uh, we are different because of any moment in time like this and that it informs our future such that we may not get back on all the horses once we can. And whether whether that's self-care stuff or, or time with our children, and I think having the gratitude, working with the difficulty, but keeping in mind what we have, as well as opportunities to add new things, you know, different rituals we've not done before or connecting with friends that we have not normally connected with because we have a little extra time, seeing the kindness that's happening on the planet, the creativity, the resilience that we're seeing. Um, when those the people in Italy were just singing to with and for one another, you know, and they're locked down, like you know, that's that that faith in our humanity, our shared humanity, is huge. So I, yes, I love is. that lead. What role does the structure play in the well-being of family members? I know you mentioned that everybody should have um, a a plan or a schedule for how they're going to have their allotted time. Is there anything else about the structure that you would mention? I think it's about really now understanding that structure is scaffolding and that scaffolding is a mental health issue. And because we kind of can dance with that, you know, in our own way and and not maybe have such open space that it's gone unless we create it within our own life and with some self-discipline, that's the relationship that I, I'm watching people see is what, like, wow, I actually really, to, to not be in a, almost like a disassociative state where I'm kind of numb and I'm kind of foggy, I really need that structure. Now, structure is best not too rigid, so all of a sudden if it's sunny, maybe we won't read right now. Maybe now's the time to go for the walk. But the relationship to mental health could not be under stated here, I guess. And that's the discovery. But for some people, that's a, they've always kind of had struggle with structure. They kind of like their freedom. They like not being committed to a routine. So I think those folks are up against a harder walk right now. But, but maybe the opportunity is now to see the consequence of not having sure. much structure other than what they produce for themselves and realizing that, um, that it actually really serves and is helpful. So I've always been a big fan of it. Again, not rigidly so, including having unstructured time as part of what you plan for and w- is within the structure. Yeah, so I would add that piece to what we've already spoken of. Can a person watch too much news and hear too much of what's going on. You know, it's important to be informed, but can watching a lot of news actually be detrimental for our mental health? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I liken uh, information to kind of one of the drugs we don't talk about. I believe we're in a society where, where we kind of, it's a lot about getting information. And sometimes even as a therapist, it's about getting information about what happened to me. And that could be helpful. It can go a distance. But more information doesn't necessarily make me more safe. 
And so I think we have to know where that line in the sand is of how much. And so that's for you, Barbara, it might be different than what it is for me. But at some point, there will be a threshold that I'm not learning anything. Now I'm just using only maybe the left side of my brain to think of it in the old way we used to think of it. I'm not doing something that is fulfilling and creative and more life sustaining. So it is important, especially now to stay informed, you know, when is the shelter at home going to be lifted? What are the latest, you know, um, things happening with school districts, that kind of thing. So I, I think we always need to have a healthy relationship to information and in particular the news, but especially now to not fill that empty space with just kind of binge watching that can, you know, probably people were doing in the beginning and they're kind of like, okay, now, it, now I need to find a different landing place. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would encourage you to answer that question. Like, have you had to find how much is too much for yourself, would you say? Well, I, I think it's important to be aware, but I, I think that, you know, doing important things like playing Scrabble and Remy Cup with kids is, yeah. is way yeah. too much more important. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Am I making a memory? And did I kind of already know what I'm learning from the news? You know, there's a there's an interesting, I've heard many stories through my practice this month of people doing kind of a little OCD stuff, like a little compulsivity happening because it's kind of this artificial sense of control. Like if I watch more news or if I do another cleaning when actually the, the next level of cleaning is unnecessary, it's, it is sanitary, but it's a way to channel that anxious energy. And so I love your idea of knowing that there's a restlessness and an energy and a hunger, but that's not really what we're, we need. That's not really what satiates more right. that game of Scrabble. Yeah, well, I, I, I was joking a little bit, but the fact of the matter is that now is a great time for us to have that inner growth with the extra time that we have, yeah. like learning how to do telehealth and get online mm-hmm. and how we are mm-hmm. going to move forward so that we can stay in touch with our patients and take care of their health. Yes. You know, for those that are switching to telehealth that are in a provider role like I am, you know, the obvious assumption would be it's it's different, it's kind of less than. And delightfully, some of my clients have actually, I, there's an intimacy with it that I'm seeing people's homes, you know? People have sometimes had to go get in their car because that's the place that it is. Like, there is such a vulnerability and intimacy, and that's a connection. I'm seeing people's pets <laughs> because the cat walks across the screen. And so I think there is, um, as we are making adjustments, um, this, is, this is now something in our pocket, certainly in mind, that I can tell my clients, hey, if you don't want to drive across a river in Portland, Oregon, traffic is not great today, we can do Zoom, and we know how to do that now and still feel super connected. That's great. What are the opportunities available to us at times of adversity and loss? Well, I kind of think about that in a small picture, in a big picture way. Um, You know, we've been talking about practicing self-care, but now really understanding how necessary that is and maybe realizing we want to be doing this kind of self-care on the other side when life is going to get busy again and there's going to be more competition. I would say connecting with others that we, as I mentioned before, that we might have had less contact with or deepening our connection with those we live with. You know, sometimes we can be ships in the night with our family and even our friends. And so I think, yeah, just that. 
I would say the big picture is to find purpose. You know, I'm noticing that even a few of my clients this week have talked about they're making masks because they know how to sew and how that is changing their just wait and see. You know, am I getting my stimulus check? When can I go back to work? When will the restaurant open? It really gives a focus. And I think always there's a chance, even if it's just getting groceries for the neighbor that you normally wouldn't, I think that is huge to our mental health. And that's the opportunity here. Certainly with some time, I think you said it a minute ago, we can go inward. And this is the time to really look at our life and does our life reflect what we want and who we are? And this kind of came to us. We're kind of taking a sabbatical because <laughs> life is giving us this. But but it's a, it's still that moment. And I think um, there will be some, if not a lot, for for many people that might be different on the other side. So those are the things that I think about in terms of uh, the opportunity here. And I guess opportunity is about being opportunistic. So that's actually kind of a mindset. So if we slow down and in times where we don't have to have social distance and some kids are playing, you know, the moments I remember when I've traveled is when I join a soccer game, when I'm in another country and I'm not, I don't know what the kids are saying, but we're having a moment that's being willing to engage because there's an opportunity there. So of what I've described, I think every day is an opportunity for much that can be missed in normal life. So that's what's at hand. Now, you had a very interesting blog uh, where you titled it One Day at a Time. Mm -hmm. I found that very interesting. And you asked, which I'm sure a lot of people are asking, what are the opportunities embedded in contending with the COVID-19? Well, it's kind of going back to the uncertainty thing in terms of using the serenity prayer. I I love traditions and teachings from all walks of life and the 12 step, you know, one day to come time comes from that tradition. And so boy, in times when I was raising children, not just managing life in a pandemic, I had to do one hour at a time. So I think I, I encourage people to not get overwhelmed with looking at the whole when it's kind of like looking up at Mount Everest and you're about to climb it. It's, it's too big. You can't imagine yourself getting to the top. So the one day at a time and just bringing it into a threshold that feels like you can breathe and you can do, which is always how life is happening. It's what happening actually one minute at a time, one breath at a time. We just have a capacity to see so much more. Yeah. So that was where that came from in just really giving people explicit permission to just bring it in and that's enough. You just have to do this day. You just need to do this hour. You just need to do this. I'm working with a lot of actually healthcare providers, this shift. They're scared. They're going into frontline work with a virus that can be quite deadly and there's lots to protect them, but it's still a human, you know, it's frightening. And so to really help them manage that as it's also incredibly meaningful to those that um, are reporting that work to me. So, yeah, it's very scary, especially when you hear about, you know, not having protective gear and and they're getting sick or getting exposed and then going home to their families. It's very scary. Or they can't go home to their families. So they're both, give, you know, outsourcing and just really providing such an incredible thing to their community and to others. And then not necessarily being fed in the ways we 
at a human level get fed so that we can give to others. So it's a really intense time that way. Yes. Yes. I think that feeling purpose of this is what I went into medicine for to help people mm-hmm. uh, goes, a, goes a long way to, yeah. you know, help us cope with that. That's right. That's right. And that I think that can be in a professional way. Sometimes I work with people that feel like I can't land on that thing. Maybe Barbara, you and I did. We were very clear about the form that took. And that's why to me, every day there's a chance to bring that, that kind that form of meaning into our lives by having a purpose. You know, um, I'm really going to notice the garden that my partner just planted last week or, but yes, I, I think that that's ultimately part of our, our greatest well-being is to have a purpose life, whatever that is to be, whether, you know, for me, it wasn't writing a book. I did publish a book that, that was just, it came through, but definitely being a healer and offering what I've been given to others and how that serves my own well-being and just contentment in life and fulfillment for sure. Yeah. Yeah. How can our listeners buy a copy of your book? Well, thank you for asking that too. You know, it's on amazon.com, barnesandnoble.com. We have a local really, but kind of famous bookstore here in Oregon called Powell's. So powells.com. It's on ebook. This year we'll do an audio book, but it's not on audio book yet. So, and then if they visit my website, I can actually also send them an autograph copy if that's, if they would want that. So, yeah. (laughs) And what is your website? So it's Harbor Glow Holistic. So do you want me to spell that out or is that feel clear.com? So Harbor Glow. Okay. Okay, well, that's great. I really enjoyed speaking with you today. Oh, me too. This has been our guest, Catherine Jansen Burkett. Yes. And another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors with your host, Dr. Barbara Hales. Thank you so much. Until next time. Thanks for listening to Marketing Tips for Doctors. If you like the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. Press the subscribe button so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about the show. Join us on marketingtipsfordoctors.com for replays and more resources to help grow your practice, strengthen your brand, and dominate your field. Remember, you are one tweet from greatness. Greatness.